Jonah is this unwilling prophet, I mean, Jonah's actually mad that they listen to him. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as two Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. This episode, we have Almeida Wright, Associate Professor of Religious Education, and Kate Ott, Lecturer in Practical Theology. They're discussing Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and verse 10, which is appointed for the third Sunday after the Epiphany in year B. The text is read for you by student Antonio Vargas, Jr. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah went out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days' walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So coming back to the book of Jonah, preparing for this was interesting for me. It was somewhat of a full circle moment in the sense that my initial sermon at the age of like 22, I preached from the book of Jonah. I probably had a pithy title of something about decision making trouble because I was, you know, that, you know, recovering evangelical um, young preacher who just was like, we're going to teach you how to make good decisions. And Jonah (laughs) is our prophet. But the other part of it, the reason I remember preaching Jonah, being so excited to preach about Jonah early on was because he did represent for me this interesting, unwilling vessel turned prophet who was angry with God all the time about this call. I was that person. I was like, I have a life. I want to be an engineer. I want to be great. And you want me to do ministry and make no money. Um, But that's too much about me. I think it was interesting also coming back to this, though, because when I was looking in even particular on in chapter three, it was interesting to me because it's this fascinating moment where you have Jonah in the midst of preaching to the people of Nineveh and actually being really successful at it, but being really angry about it. And I wonder what that means. I wonder what it looks like for us to go in to do the work that we've either been called to or forced to in some ways, because we have to recognize that right before this, Jonah was in the belly of the fish. And it was not really a like, yes, I'm excited to go preach at Nineveh. It was like, I'm going to go preach at Nineveh, or I'm going to die, or I'm going to create shipwreck for this entire group of innocent bystanders. And, you know, and so he goes in and he's preaching and has his moment. 
but he's not really sure that he's even bought into the mission, which is this other interesting side of it that that is always complicated for me. And of course, that, you know, there's no real easy kind of read uh, of Jonah. I think it's so important for us to have talked about what comes right before and also what comes after, because Jonah is this unwilling prophet. I mean, Jonah's actually mad about the fact that they listen to him and equally mad uh, that God changes God's mind in this matter. To me, as I was reading it, thinking just about what happens here, sort of the, okay, unwillingness, I'm going to go in. I heard you, God, for the second time. I, I really love this fact that Nineveh is a three days walk and and Jonah only makes it one day in starting the proclamation. Doesn't even make it to the center of town from what I'm reading. Says one thing, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Everybody responds, including the king. And I think at that moment, Jonah, anger just, that anger just rises and rises. And I wonder why, you know, isn't this, isn't this what you want? It did make me think, and this might not work perfectly in an interpretation, but what it made me really reflect on was how we often personally want God's affirmation, God's forgiveness, some sort of sign that we are chosen, but we want to contest it for a group of other people, right? Like if other people have been acting like fools, and we ourselves have as well, but we correct ourselves, we follow what God said, we show up in Nineveh, we don't want it to be so easy for other people to also get that forgiveness, to get that chosenness by following. So in my mind, you know, as a white woman, I was going back to thinking about what happens when, you know, folks like myself, when we join anti-racist movements or, you know, you know, well-meaning, really authentic men who want to join feminist movements, who, you know, I myself have had the experience of thinking like, okay, I'm on the right track. I am trying to make the right choices here. I'm making a difference as I choose how my whiteness shows up in the world. And then, you know, I get in with a larger group and everybody's doing that work. Yes, it becomes the agenda for the whole organization. Yep. And it's not as special anymore. It's not as difficult anymore. And there's a way in which I'm kind of feeling like I understand Jonah in this moment. And yet I'm equally maybe disgusted is too strong of a word, but like equally self-reflective of... If we are seeking change in the world, how do we rid ourselves of the sort of one-upsmanship in how we join that change? So is it a sense that there is a type of gatekeeping that Jonah was doing here of him wanting, knowing that he had this message and this good news, but also wanting to be clear, I only want a few people to come in. I actually don't want the Ninevites to come in. I don't want the folks who are late to the game, who didn't understand that this the importance of this work early on to be able to get there. And I think that for me also, both theologically and like socially, makes me wrestle with the end of this chapter and this concept of God changing God's mind. And it's an interesting one because, of course, you know, fast forward through my like evangelical like leanings, that would never have been a thing. Like I was only taught about the sovereignty of God or the consistency of God or the fact that God is the same yesterday, today and forevermore. But this is not that 
novel. I mean, because even I was looking at the, some of the commentaries around this passage, the idea of God in the Hebrew Bible changing God's mind is stated at least five other times or at least five other places. And so the reality of human action being able to somehow influence the mind of God, the ideas of God, even as a concept, is is a very interesting one and one that I'm not sure that we are comfortable with. And there's so much in this, of course. Now, there are whole strands of theological movements such as process thought and things like that that really would be like, yes, there is this, you know, exchange that's happening between the mind of God and and what humans do and, and how we move forward. But it seems like it was a foreign concept to um, not foreign concept, but it was a hard concept for Jonah. And it's a hard concept for us right now to wrestle with what would it look like even when we think that we're inviting people into something, but we're not actually sure we are certain that they can change or that change should happen. And of course, this is an uncomfortable thing because it's, it may, brings the question, at least when I put myself in Jonah's perspective and not try to bring it too close to home, I'm like, was Jonah low-key wanting the Ninevites to be destroyed? Was he low-key expecting bad things to come and wanting to see that vengeful side of God, that wrathful side of God. I mean, he was just in the belly of a fish. He's not, I don't think he's feeling great about God right now. So he's wondering why they got off easy. But he's right. You're right. And I'm also thinking, I'm like, Jonah, you were blatantly disobedient and didn't get all that could have happened to you. You just got a detour to your assignment. (laughs) And that's the kind of stuff that I think we also wrestle with now because it's uh, again going back to your example there's a way that it's like all right I got on board I made my feminist or my white you know anti-racism and anti-white supremacy or my ecological commitments but the ultimate goal is it like liberation and freedom or survival and flourishing or is it for some people to get punished and for us to get rewarded for making these good choices yeah, so often I think we tell ourselves it's about liberation, it's about flourishing, it's about the sustainability of all. And in the midst of it, the feeling is what Jonah's feeling. The feeling is this should be harder. It was hard for me. Why is it not hard for you? Why does God change God's mind instead of dole out the overthrowing that was meant to happen. Deep down, does Jonah really want that to happen? I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. he, sounds like it. Yeah, a couple <laughs> chapters later, before he actually gets some realization, right? We got a fig tree dying, and so I, I think it's a great passage to just sit with because we can admit that we have those same feelings that Jonah has, and what do we do with them? And What do we do with the fact that it seems like Jonah's showing up and the Ninevites' response leads to God's changing God's mind? And when does that also happen in our own lives? And do we need a God that can change God's mind? And what would it mean for us theologically if that was the thing we held on to more than the consistency or immutability of God? Thanks for listening. You can visit our website for more Bible study resources, yalebiblestudy.org. 
Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddart, and I'm your host and executive producer Helena Martin. And our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from Chapter, Verse, and Season. Thank you.